What's up? What's up? Hope you're having a good holiday so far. You're listening to Blissful Prospecting. My name's Jason Bay, but you can call me J-Bay. And this podcast is for reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate it when they go to spend a bunch of time researching an account, a person, looking at their LinkedIn profile, and they reach out, and then crickets. No one responds. So if that's ever happened to you before, you're definitely in the right place. And let's get into today's episode. So we got another round of sales rants with Jeff Bajorek. So this is our second round of doing these. And if you didn't listen to the first one, I definitely recommend checking it out. But we basically, for about 25 or 30 minutes, we jam on three topics. This one was a little bit more organized than the last, and hopefully the future ones will be a little more organized. But we kind of just jam off the cuff with like what's on our mind. So we're going to be talking about three things. One is call reluctance, or really any sort of reluctance to call even current clients to you know upsell them or you know calling people that are in the sales process to follow up and close or it could be cold calling two we talk about empathy so how to better understand your prospects and what's top of mind for them and then three jeff has a really cool matrix that he runs us through a quadrant if you will on how to prioritize opportunities and where you might be spending too much time and not enough time so i'm super excited for you to listen to this one before we dig into that one thing that I would really appreciate is if you enjoy this podcast, I would love it if you left the show a review on iTunes. So if you're listening to this on the podcast player on iTunes, if you go to our podcast, Blissful Prospecting, scroll down to the very bottom, leave a quick short review. It'll really help me out so we can continue growing the audience and getting on great guests. And if you don't listen on iTunes, if you pull up your iTunes on your Mac and search for Blissful Prospecting, you can find it that way as well. Let's get to the episode. Okay, dude, we got three topics today. We're trying something a little bit different. I got a timer this time. It's going to feel like a, like a freaking game show, dude. Okay, so first topic, hitting the timer, call reluctance. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. I mean, I see it a lot, obviously, with cold calling, right, where people don't want to pick up the phone because of a lot of things that they're fearful of. But if I had to you know, pick out some themes, it would be like, this person seems really important and busy that I'm reaching out to, and I'm, clearly I'm going to be bucking them if I call them out of the blue. And then there's this other element of like, well, what could I possibly offer to this person that has 20 years of doing this and I'm just getting started here in my first two or three years as a salesperson. So how do you think about like reluctance either from a prospecting standpoint, because you see it in sales too, you know, but what are your thoughts on reluctance? I actually had a conversation with a client about this probably four or five weeks ago. And, you know, he said, you know, and he had not, it had been like four weeks between texts. And text is significant because he's on a texting relationship with this long-term kind of customer that he worked with at another company. Anyway, he said, you know, and he didn't realize it had been four weeks, but that's what happens when you say, you know, I'm just going to wait a little bit. We're going to let that cool off. And then I'll reach out again when it, you know, feels right. And he said, you know, I just, I know this person is busy. I know they're important and they don't want to hear from some crappy sales rep all the time. And just, you know, and I just don't, I don't want to be that guy. And I said, you're right. You're absolutely right. They don't want to hear from some crappy sales rep. They don't want to hear some half-witted pitch. They don't want to be interrupted for something that isn't worth their time. But you have a choice 
to not be crappy. That <laughs> is the biggest difference. That is like the key to the equation that people forget about. It's like, be better, be better. And when you know that you are better than whatever they're doing right now, when you know that you and what you're bringing to the table are worth the interruption, all of a sudden that reluctance tends to go away because you know that you are calling about something worth calling about. When you want to grow your business with people who don't know you, the first thing that you need to do, the hurdle you need to overcome is make sure they know you are someone worth talking to with something worth talking about. You have to know that before they're ever going to know that. So the reluctance part, don't tell me that, oh, I'm being empathetic because I want to be mindful of their time. You just don't believe enough in yourself and what you're doing to make that call. Okay. I agree with you hundred percent on this. And I, we're taking it actually a little bit of a different angle than I thought. Let's talk about confidence. Cause so I agree with you hundred percent on like, you're not confident enough. I think the next step is like, okay, well, what are some things that I can do to be more confident in what I'm doing? And I just give you an example of kind of the stuff that I think about, I call it drinking the company Kool-Aid. And I don't think that enough sales leaders are helping their team drink the company Kool-Aid. And what I mean by that is like, You'd be amazed, man. I'm curious what you see. But some of the companies I work with, the reps have not even looked at their company's case studies. Oh. They haven't even like watched all of the video testimonials that they have. And with some of our clients, depending on the engagement, I'll actually interview their customers. And when I do that, I get super jacked up to sell for them, even though I'm not even a sales because I'm like, wow, like they just do insanely great work. And I'm watching these video testimonials. I'm like, it makes me feel confident, you know? I think that's a pretty logical step that a sales leader could take and say, hey, homework for everyone here is I want you to pick out three case studies that represent the people you're prospecting to, and then I'm going to quiz you on them the next time that we talk. I'm going to ask you, so what client stories are you going to reference when you're prospecting this week? First, why is Kool-Aid bad all of a sudden? <laughs> like, How many times have you heard someone get accused of drinking? Oh, you're drinking the company Kool-Aid. Someone said, well, you took the red pill instead of the blue pill back in. I'm like, wait, I always get those two from the matrix confused, right? Which one's bad? Like what? Like Kool-Aid's delicious. Like, okay, aside from it having too much sugar in it, like Kool-Aid's delicious, right? Like what is wrong with that? And what is wrong with being so fired up about what you do for what your company provides for people? Like, that's a good thing, isn't it? Like, why would, are we just, are we brainwashed into believing that we're not allowed to have, share any thoughts with, with anybody else? Like, okay. Let me step off that. This game is too hard. You need to believe in what you're doing for people if you're going to be successful with it. And if the first thing you do is say, well, I'm not going to buy into all that stuff. Like, I want to know why people have bought from this company in the past. I want to know why they continue to buy from, from this company. I want to know all of the unexpected benefits that they've gotten from buying from my company. I want to know what they didn't even realize was coming until I or someone in my company asked them to think about that. And that's one of the things I do when I interview my customers, when I get done with an engagement, I say, okay, what did you get that you expected, right? What did you think was missing, right? Where did I miss the mark on setting expectations? And what did you get out of this engagement that you did not expect to see coming, but you were so glad that happened? There's always something. And it almost always changes the way I promote myself to other companies. It changes the way I set expectations for my engagements with other companies. And it, it helps me to stay on my feet. It helps me to stay creative. It's one of the things that invigorates me about the sales process 
because it's never the same thing over and over and over again. And I think companies that try to scale too fast or make it about scale before anything else, they're so worried about whether or not this can be repeated that they're not worrying about whether or not it's worth repeating. And, you know, boring sales processes fall into that category. Get fired up about something, man. And like, that goes back to confidence. That helps you understand the customer. That is one of the things that makes selling most worth doing, right? It's 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 where the, the vitality in our profession comes from. Dude, the is it worth scaling is a really interesting, you know, question too, because I see that a lot because I work with a lot of companies in tech and they're always looking to like, hey, we needed to bring you in because we want to scale and we're going to double our SDR count next year. And then when I come in, what I'm thinking to myself is, what you're doing right now is not really working that well though. <laughs> like that's actually the thing that we need to figure out first. I know that's funny. I'm not even trying to be a smart ass about it. It's like, this isn't working right now. What you're doing isn't scalable. Like, like, like you said, it's like, I would be investing all of my time into figuring out how can we make this more scalable? And dude, the number one challenge I hear is reluctance to pick up the phone, whether that's from a sales or a prospecting standpoint, that's the number one thing I hear every sales leader complain about that they don't really know how to get through to people. I love this, like, are you an interruption worth having, essentially, approach. And the customer interview approach, too, is really interesting. The, like, the what did you get? And I'm thinking, again, of what the excuses might be for not doing this. Oh, well, you know, I handed off to customer success or account manager, or, you know, I just prospect. Well, talk to your AE then about what they do do one of those sessions with your AE and tell them that what would really help me prospect for you better is if I could hear a little bit more about why customers are so excited to work with us. But wait, Jason, it's not my job, <laughs> right? Because you run into that. No, I, I just turned it to customer success or all I do is prospect. Like, wait a second, there's a reason that those roles were not separated in the past, right? And I get it, there's reasons, there are reasons in some places for you to separate those roles now, that's fine. But we can't lose the magic of what happens when they're all together because that, some of those intangible things were, again, what made salespeople so effective. And you know what actually is having a breakdown like that where you have an SDR working with AEs and account managers and stuff, it actually brings more of a team element it brings the team sport element into sales where many sales positions can feel when you're doing everything by yourself, it feels more like a individual sport, you know, where it's like, yeah, we're supposed to help each other, but like, I don't really feel incentivized to work together. I'm going to make my calls. I'm going to go home. Okay, cool. Dude, good timing, man. We finished 10 seconds early. <laughs> Topic number two, hit the timer again. Okay. This is actually a good segue because you kind of mentioned this customer interview piece. And one thing I want to get your thoughts on is how can we have more empathy for our prospects, true empathy in terms of like, I understand what their day-to-day -day is, what they do, how what I do kind of fits into their priorities. And I guess we're kind of almost getting into business acumen a little bit. A little bit. But what do you recommend for a sales team or a sales leader or even an individual that like when you start working with them, it's very, very clear that the reason why they're having trouble selling or prospecting is they don't really understand what, who the other person is or like why they would even want to meet with you in the first place. Where, where do you suggest people like that get started? 
if you're new to the organization, talk to a salesperson who is not new to the organization and has sold successfully in the past. If you are part of a new sales organization for a new company, maybe it's a startup and you don't really have any tenured salespeople or even any tenured clients, there's a reason you got the job and it's because you have that company has at least one customer. That customer is going to help you because it's in, typically in their best interest to help you. So ask them, hey, can I come see what it's like? Can I, can I walk a mile in your shoes? Like I'll bring lunch to the office that day if you let me show up at like 9.30 and stay till like 3.30. Let me just get, a, what's it like to be in this company's shoes? What's it like to work at this company? And okay, we're doing everything remotely right now. Maybe that's not even possible. Maybe for that same lunch, it's worth sitting down with two or three key employees for a couple of hours on a Zoom meeting and you know, you do a wine tasting or so, whatever. You, you find a reason to make it worth their while to share with you. And then you ask questions. What is your day-to-day like? You know, at 9.15, what do you have? Let me, can I see your calendar? Just things like that. Stuff that has to be earned to a certain extent, but you've got the means within your company. If you really think about it, you've already earned the right to ask those questions of the right people. And just ask. You're not going to pick up the phone and cold call a prospect and ask them what, it's like asking them what keeps them up at night, right? But you're going to, with, with the right people, get an understanding of what that day-to-day feeling is like. And you'll be able to, un, you know, at that point, understand and uncover the best times to call, the best things to say, the things you know you're probably taking them away from. When you can speak their language above and beyond just using jargon, it really goes a long way to the connecting and the rapport building. And again, making you someone worth talking to and you probably have something worth talking about. What, what do you recommend to people? So I like your idea. I mean, doing some sort of customer interview or figuring out a day in the life is definitely a numeral uno. You're going to talk about a quadrant. I also have kind of a quadrant that I use too, where it's like, you know, high value activities on the top. And then you have not low value, but lower. And then you have like, I guess for you, it'd be like this you know, high effort and then low effort, the high value, high effort activities are going to be customer interview, right? It's, you get a ton of from it, but it, they take a lot of time to do, do and coordinate that kind of stuff. There's like the kind of the sweet spot for me is like this, like high value, relatively low effort. And one of the things I shared on with a new client actually, is if you're selling software or you're selling professional services that are very productized or just review sites, one of the things you're probably going to run across if you sell software or a very productized service like accounting, bookkeeping, marketing agencies, anything like that, that's like there's a lot of competition, is you're probably going to run into people saying, we're already taking care of a lot. And what I think about when I'm prospecting is how can I prevent that objection? So in the case of software, if you went to a site like g2.com, a software review site, and just look at the negative reviews for your competitors. There are so many freaking nuggets in there, dude. And it doesn't have to be like when you're prospecting where it's like, hey, I know you're using this solution and it sucks. You really need to be using ours. It's like, hey, I'm really curious. Like I did some research. It looks like and talks to people at your company. It looks like you might be using this solution. I'm really curious. What I hear a lot is that people say this, that they don't like this particular feature or this thing slows them down or whatever. I'd be like, what are your thoughts? Like, do you run into that at all? And every now and then you're going to get someone to be like, yeah, I actually really hate that, you know? And then from a professional services standpoint, I mean, I, I'm forgetting the name of the site. Damn it. If you type in agency reviews or like marketing or sorry, professional services reviews on Google, it'll pop up. This is also really good for people that do software development too. 
you're going to see all kinds of stuff around the negative reviews and what people hate. And you know what it always is? It's usually around the service. It's not usually around the, the thing that they get from them. It's usually around the delivery of the thing. And that becomes kind of messaging that you can talk about in a sales call or a discovery call. It's like, here's what I hear. And sometimes in my research, what people say, you're not talking shit about your competition. Like, here's what people are saying. Like, what is your experience with this? And it's almost like you get the prospect to think about what they really hate about working with people like them versus the approach I think where people go wrong is they do the equivalent of I'm a personal trainer and Jeff, I need you. I'm trying to get you to admit to me that you need a personal trainer too. And good luck with that, buddy. Right. But that's basically <laughs> what you're doing is you're telling people indirectly, you're kind of saying, well, you're kind of an idiot, dude, for using that software. Are you kidding? Like, like, like we're so much better than them. Or we offer so much better service. Like, really? You're using our competitor that we know we're so, that's not going to disarm someone. Like, they're not going to feel open to that at all. That is so similar to the way I used to sell, even when I was going door to door, right? I had an idea of the landscape when I was selling into hospitals. I knew what these orthopedic surgeons in this case were using for their stock product. I knew what was shelved at their hospital. And so all I did was identify the delta, the differentiators between what my product had and, and what the product they were using had. I knew the industry. So I knew what was important to them. And then I started conversations about those differentiators. And so what, you know, what are you doing to address this? What are you doing to address this? And in some cases, you know, because it was really a, a fairly generic product category, some people didn't even realize what they were using. And there will be people, there are people, if you're listening to this podcast right now, you are calling on people who don't know what software they use. They don't know what CRM they use. They don't know all that. So don't take anything for granted just because you have such an innate knowledge of, of the stuff that you're using, your own tech stack. But like, I would just identify these problems and ask them what they were doing to, to handle it. And sometimes they didn't even know what they were using. And sometimes they didn't even know that they needed to handle it. And all of a sudden you bring it to the top of their radar and they're like, oh, I should probably do something about that. And you can get the conversation even from people who just want to be more informed. I love your, yeah, just let's get a competitive overview of what your competitors are doing, but what, but, you know, but what people are saying about your competitors. And then not really just pick apart at that, but it becomes pretty clear the questions you can ask that will make you sound like you know what you're talking about and will also get to the real issue of what your customer or your prospect could be struggling with. That's brilliant insight. And isn't that part of being a, because we both believe in this like sort of consultative selling approach where you're bringing insights and advice and all that other stuff, right? I don't know. I hear a lot of people saying, don't pay attention to the competitor. And I'm like, well, how can I educate a prospect on the marketplace if I don't understand what my competition is doing. And most importantly, what the people that are being taken care of by my competitors, what they think about that. That doesn't mean that you spend all of your time focused on it, but to, to have no knowledge about what people don't like about your competitors' products or services, you're not able to actually help your prospect as much. You need to know what they're dealing with. And do you need to focus on your competitor? Like, oh, they've got a new feature coming out. Do you need to be like scared of that? No. Every time a new feature comes out from one of your competitors, it presents an opportunity for you to sell against it. Even if it's coming against one of your top features or whatever. So wrap your brain around what you can actually accomplish with it rather than just trying to ignore it. Dude, good timing. Again, five seconds on the timer there. Okay, <laughs> last topic. <laughs> I have a clock too. <laughs> 
Okay, so did you have this really cool quadrant around like identifying growth opportunities? You want to share your screen real quick and then maybe kind of talk out loud for the people that might be listening to this, kind of what are in their quadrants. This is a really cool exercise just to kind of set this up where I think the problem that a lot of salespeople have is like they spend way too much time focusing on the wrong things, but they don't really have a framework for thinking about where is good place to spend my time versus bad or not so good or terrible place to spend my time. Did I get that right? Is there any other context you want to add into kind of like what, how you came up with this, what it's for? This addresses a lot of things. You pretty much hit the nail on the head, but there are some other factors that go into it as well in terms of, you, you know, you, you've got these companies that complain that their reps won't call on new prospects. And you've got other companies that are going so far out of their way with SDRs and top of the funnel filling that they forget that there is a gold mine of new business within their existing customers. So I, I kind of thought of something that addresses both of those situations, if you will. And I think let's forget about new versus old. Let's forget about you know new headcount, new logos versus stale long-term customers. Let's just talk about what it's going to take to grow. Okay. So accounts or prospects are either growable or they're not growable. You either have as much of their wallet share as you could ever expect, or you have very little of it. So if we think about that in terms of an axis, like an X and Y axis, right? Let's put growable on top and let's put not growable on the bottom and a, a vertical line running between them. Now on the left side and the right side of this axis, let's say accessible versus not accessible. What is the biggest hindrance to growing new business? It's accessibility. Look, if people would take your call and give you their attention, you can make a sales pitch, you can have a discovery conversation, you can identify the issues you can help them with, and you can ask them to move forward in the process. The sales process only works when you have access. So accessibility is the other most important factor. So when you can have access, is the person or the company to which you have access growable or not growable? Okay, so again, on the vertical axis, we've got growable at the top, not growable at the bottom. And on the horizontal axis, we've got accessible on the left, not accessible on the right. Top left quadrant is growable and accessible. That's quadrant number one. Top right quadrant is growable but not accessible. That's quadrant number two. Bottom left quadrant is accessible but not growable. That's quadrant number three. Bottom right quadrant, not accessible, not growable. That's quadrant number four. It doesn't matter because they don't want to talk to you and you don't want to talk to them. It's better just leave it alone. So we're only going to talk about one, two, and three. Now, the interesting thing is your customers or your prospects that you know you can grow with, that you have access to, that's where you should be spending at least half of your time because that is where money is being made. That's where profit is rolling in. These are people who you know you can grow with and they want to talk to you. You don't get these opportunities. You work for these opportunities all the time, but this is where prospecting kind of hurts itself. You're so interested in trying to add new leads to the funnel that you forget to nurture and grow those leads. Okay, so quadrant one is where you should be spending at least half of your time and you spend the rest of your time trying to get more companies or, or more potential customers into quadrant one. Quadrant two, growable but not accessible. Jason, this is where you excel. You help companies get access to the companies that they know that they can grow. You help sales reps with the language and the strategy and the tactics to help them get access to these quadrant two customers, moving them from quadrant two over to quadrant one. Now, 
the, the, the real issue here is in quadrant three. These are particularly for the full line reps. These are the, the companies where a rep will go in and they know they've got all the business, but it's a soft, warm place to land on a Thursday morning. It is a place where you get your back slapped and you get hugged when you can do that, or they always take your call or, or whatever. We like to spend our time here because we get good energy and good feedback, but we forget that our job is to grow business, not just maintain business. And in most cases, the business doesn't need, you know, this business doesn't need a weekly phone call in order to be maintained. You can meet with this customer once a quarter, do a QBR, make sure everything's okay, keep them apprised of new things coming down the road and other ways you can help them. And you can keep their loyalty with way less effort than you're doing right now. But all the energy that you're putting into these quadrant three companies and these quadrant three customers who you defined as not being growable, that is energy you're not spending in one and in two. And this is just a really kind of a simple thing that I put together for a client several months ago. I used it with a new client and, and actually got way more traction out of it and much better feedback than I thought. It's just a simple chart to me, Jason, but I mean, what, what struck it about you? Or what, what struck you about it, rather? I love frameworks, first off. So, and people are always like, oh, that seems so straightforward. Well, the beauty is in the simplicity of the framework. It's now you have a way to look at where you're spending your time and I can wrap my head around it. So that, that's what I love about it. I want to dig in with you on, with your client. Like, why weren't they spending their time in the right places to begin with? Like, what were some of the things holding them back from spending more time in the growable, accessible accounts? Superstition. For one, some of it is long-term superstition being passed down from generation to generation, as you could say, from, you know, as these business owners and salespeople had kind of grown up in the company and, and they were taught to believe that if you can just get face-to-face -face with people and constantly be around, you'll constantly be top of mind and they will continue to do business with you. And that is a myth. It's superstition. It's a myth. It's not true. When, and, and what it does is it underscores the concept that those people don't know why their customers are doing business with them. It's not because they show up once a week. It, because I'll tell you what, if you show up once a week and you think that's the, the reason that you're getting business, then as soon as your competitor shows up once every four days, the business is going to go to them if, if your logic holds true, right? If the frequency of the visit is what drives the loyalty, then that's bad news because you can only be there so often. So trying to simplify things. And, and I think when you get to people who don't like the concept of being called salespeople and you just kind of make them feel better about it. And yeah, it's something we all have to do. Just make sure you show up and say hi all the time. That oversimplifies what selling is in the wrong way. It's you're not just a pretty face with bagels or donuts, right? It's like you bring value. Again, this gets back to what we talked about a little earlier. Be someone worth interrupting them. Be someone worth showing up and having a conversation with. And when you have more meaningful conversations, you don't need to show up as often. Funny thing how that works. But like now you can actually make sure that you keep their loyalty. You can make sure that you are doing the right things for that business. And you can make sure that you don't have this blind spot that a competitor is going to come in and take. Yeah, I, I love this. The part of this too is like, because I'm thinking of how I would use it. And what I would do is I would think and look back on the last six to 12 months, all of the clients that I have. And I would look at what accounts are growing and which ones aren't. And of the ones that are growing, have you spent the time on those ones? 
Yeah. And the ones that haven't been growing, what's the reason why? Are they the ones you don't have access to? Because I think accessibility is something it sounds like where you can move people into different quadrants too. Is the, is the lack of accessibility because I only have one point of contact and that point of contact doesn't really have any decision-making power and it's just like kind of the relationship, you know, part of it. Yeah. So that's interesting. What, what do you feel like for someone getting started with that? What do you feel like is the actionable thing for them to do with this quadrant if they're just getting started with it? You got to remember that it's your job to grow, not your job to babysit. And this fear that you're going to lose the business if you don't babysit, you got to, that's where you have to do your customer interviews. Those keep coming up for a reason, right? What is the reason that you continue to do business with us? But I think it's just, it's identifying those targets ahead of time. And when you're thinking at 2021 growth, for instance, where's that growth going to come from? And where do I need to spend my time in order to get that growth? Chances are, it's not going to come from those quadrant three companies. Well, we know it's not going to come from those quadrant three customers. So you have to spend your time according to what you need to have happen. And what you need to have happen is grow. So I really think it's an assessment up front that will be the, the biggest, that'll make the biggest impact. Awesome. So my favorite thing that we talked about, I mean, I'm just on a kick with call reluctance right now, just because it's one of those things that literally every single sales team I talk to, the sales leaders want their reps to pick up the phone more. And their complaint is that they don't like doing it. And almost every rep I talk to feels uncomfortable picking up the phone. So there's some, <laughs> some sort of disconnect there. So the call reluctance piece was really my favorite. But before you take off, I hope you enjoyed this format. We're having fun with it. I would really love it if you could do me a favor. If you enjoy this podcast, if there's like one person that you think would enjoy this as well, please share it with them. So if, if there's people on your team, could be your sales manager, could be other people you work with, other people you know in sales, could be you know putting it on LinkedIn, whatever it might be. I would love it if you just shared the podcast with someone, if you, if you get some value. So would really appreciate that. And hope you're having a great holiday. And we'll talk to you soon.